you're listening to the Mary Louise O'Donnell podcast. I'm here with John O'Keefe. John is a criminologist, a forensic psychologist, a criminal law lecturer and a magistrate. So I presume, John, you know something of the law. I hope so, but we're about to find out, Mary Louise. Yes. I want to talk to you today about sentencing, and in particular about sentencing for murder. Because when I open the paper or read about crime, and I hear that somebody got a um, life sentence for murder, or what we would consider on television first-degree murder. Um, does that mean that they're going to jail for the rest of their life? And I'm asking you for a very specific reason. No, it doesn't. So we, we have a mandatory life sentence for murder in Ireland. So if you're one of the um, people who is eventually convicted of murder, you uh, will receive this mandatory life sentence. Now, it's a life sentence insofar as even after you leave prison you have a license you're on license so if you commit a crime you're straight back into prison that's the justification for the term life but you know that really doesn't butter parsnips for most people because what they want is incarceration now the reality is that historically um, you will have spent between seven to ten years in prison back in the 70s and 80s for murder that's now increased to in or around 17 years as an average Though of course some are getting out of 10 some are getting out of 30 some are getting out of 12 it's all quite random the parole board meets at seven years and thereafter at every two to three years you have an opportunity to be released will you be released after seven years highly unlikely in these days but certainly as you hit 10 13 16 your chances increase significantly the issue i would say for irish society and more particularly for victims of crime and victims of murder families who've suffered uh, the loss of a loved one through murder is that they have absolutely no idea when uh, the killer of their son or daughter as it might be uh, will be released and it is that uncertainty that creates problems for everybody for the victim's family um, for the criminal justice system for society and I would say even for the offender. I am a patron of ADVIC which is one of the reasons I'm delighted to be speaking with you today and because I want to try and bring in legislation around that men mandatory life sentencing um, and for murder, not around uh, fatal assault or manslaughter, around murder because what victims tell me, the families of victims tell me exactly what you have described there that when somebody murders their loved one that the punishment seems to vary so greatly around mm -hmm. whether they get a long life sentence or a short life sentence or whether up for parole or how how can that be fixed John first of all just relate that problem again to me and then tell me how it can be fixed or how you think we could go around certainty around it well just to give you maybe some historical context there is an obsession within the Irish criminal justice system that judges must have what's known as judicial discretion in other words every single case is different now I would suggest that to a point that is correct every single murder is different in many respects every single manslaughter every single assault and so on however um, I know what you're trying to do with this particular bill I've seen it and I if, if not that this is going to um, excite you too much but I certainly approve of it mm -hmm. because I think what you're trying to do is say look there must be a minimum level at which society says thus far shalt thou go and I think that seems reasonable thereafter judicial discretion must kick in so if I understand it correctly um, your bill is modeled to an extent 
on the English and Welsh uh, legislation back in the um, early noughties, which uh, has minimum starting tariffs. So a judge lands on those and then goes upwards and downwards depending on case circumstances, aided by significant judicial guidelines. We have none of these in Ireland. It is the way to go forward. So it allows judicial discretion, while at the same time it gives families some certainty and a minimum level of disapproval, if I can call it such a light word, uh, for what has happened their son, daughter, brother, sister, whoever it might be. Much of what I have been thinking about this comes from the fact that I'm a patron of ADVIC and I have learned so much from the other side of the law here, the victims, as they open the paper and they see convictions of life and then they know after seven years that we're not too sure about this, you know, um, the parole and changes and people are bringing them back to court and lack of knowledge and... And so that was one of the reasons I thought that it would be a very good idea maybe to follow the model in England and have tariffs beyond or below which a judge has the independence to go. Now, there are those who are accusing me now of being a hang-em-high judge, you know, or a hang-em-high senator. You just want everybody to go into prison and stay there for the rest of their lives. Well, I, I think you've raised something very interesting here. And we have to get to the bottom of this bizarre debate we have in Ireland. If you suggest for one minute that sentences, and I'm just talking about incarceration now, should be considered longer for certain offences in Ireland. It's escalated to you want to hang them and throw away the key. I'm not quite sure how people escalate from that point to the gallows. I I don't quite know how that's happened, but it happens every single time I, and I suspect you, open your mouths and suggest is 10 years really enough for murder or the possibility however remote of seven years you're automatically pigeonholed and i think what this bill does it says look it's okay to have liberal views they're they're important about reform about doing the best for the offender but it's equally okay to have views that support the victims and their families and society in general And you don't have to escalate it to bleeding heart liberal on one side and putting on the black cap on the other. Mm -hmm. There is this very happy middle ground where everything is sated and everyone gets their spake in the criminal justice system. And that's what I think your bill is trying to achieve. Mm. It's interesting. I tried to bring the bill in about three or four years ago and um, I got it sort of in under the door, but they refused to argue it. I tried to bring it in again and I wasn't allowed through the door. And I was told that there was going to be all kinds of uh, sentencing structures and sentencing education and sentencing formulas um, in the future. Um, uh, But but because it was mandatory sentencing for life, I wasn't even involved in that or that I couldn't get involved in that. And this is the very reason that I have you here today and that I want to speak about it because it is separate. Murder is separate from other crimes, is it not, when we come to sentencing? Well, can I just before I I say that it is separate, but and I don't wish to plumose you too much because I happen to be sitting here with you today. But the reason that people were in, in, I would say, the upper house were resistant to your bill, if you don't mind me saying so, it's because it's your bill and not theirs. People, if I can make a suggestion as an outsider to these chambers, Um, People don't like other people to have good ideas within these chambers. And again, I'm not saying that to promote you. I think it's all, I mean, and and you can talk more about this, it's all about territory. And I suspect they didn't like it. So what they do is, and I found this in my practice, both as a law lecturer and um, indeed uh, sitting on the bench in England, um, is, is that they, in Ireland, they raise the constitutional flag. 
That's the issue that will always be raised when somebody, if you don't mind me saying so brave like you, tries to bring a bill like this before before the upper house. Because A, it wasn't their idea, and B, immediately you've got a black cap on, you're in the gallows and they're such uh, educated liberals, and you've got this problem with people forming camps and going on left and rights and middles, when it's really got nothing to do with that. But the constitution was raised as a block and it will be raised. Well, let me let them all into a little secret. Every piece of legislation that goes through either house in this building will eventually come under the scrutiny of a court. At some point in the future, somebody will challenge it. And one of the first things that will be raised, almost certainly, uh, on a package of things that will be raised, is it's anti-constitutional. The time to raise that is afterwards, not before. If we raise that flag before, we would never have any legislation, but we don't. So for me, it's a spurious argument. And I just think they don't like the fact that somebody's taken the bull by the horns, frankly. The bill um, is also about tariffs, you know, like um, certifying tariffs beyond which um, a judge can either um, delete, decrease or add to. Now, I was very careful about judicial discretion here um, because in in politics you learn that there is a major separation between um, the law courts, and there should be, and politics. Do you think my discretion is wide enough here? Do you think that's, or is, why am I so, why am I so conscious of that? I, w I want to bring in the tariffs, but I yet want to keep the independence of the judiciary. No, and I understand that, and it's not an easy balance to make, but hey-ho, we've got an example over across the water that's been working there for the last 16 odd years. So it's not as if we're just uh, pussyfooting into something we don't know what we're doing. And what you're trying to do in this bill, it seems to me, is is, is look at the whole criminal justice argument in relation to murder. So I think your problem, your problem with this, and I don't believe it should be your problem, but I suspect it is, is that you dared, you dared suggest a minimum sentence. So while it was very difficult to argue with you on the other side, on the starting tariffs that could go up or down with judicial guidelines, everyone, it'd be very hard to disapprove of that and raise a constitutional issue with that. Where they will have had problems is this idea of a minimum sentence. In other words, judicial discretion should be across the board. Well, I think what your bill is saying is that murder is murder is murder, and therefore there must be a minimum level. Now, I suspect, I think from reading the bill, am I right in saying it was in around 25 years was your minimum? Um, I think there isn't an appetite for that, if I might be so bold. I know we're not here specifically to talk about this bill and parse it, but I certainly think a minimum sentence needs to be put in there. Pro I, I would suggest 20 years, because guess what? It's almost at 20 years as an average now in any event. So you're not doing anything different. Afterwards, I think we have a wonderful piece of legislation. For example, if I could give you the Irish example of how it worked in Wales a number of years ago, where uh, the unfortunate murder of a, a vet called Catherine Gowing, who was an Irish vet working over there. And from memory, the judge landed on 35 years as his kind of is his starting block, if you will. And because of excessive uh, and, and horrific post-mortem behaviours, he increased that to 39 years without parole. So he, was, he could easily have just gone down the other way, of course, if circumstances were different. But he had his judicial discretion and he had his guidance. And trust me, I talk to judges both in this jurisdiction and outside it. They are like sheep unloosed in a field. They do not know where they're going. And notwithstanding that they talk about this sort of philosophical notion of judicial discretion, sometimes they need boundaries so they can push against them. They're like children. We're all like that. Uh, and I think your bill 
goes right to the heart of that and satisfies both arguments. Something in me says that when somebody is murdered, in what we would call cold-blooded murder, it's very different than a crime of passion or it's very different than fatal assault, and that there's some kind of an intent to take that person's life or end that person's life and that is a very very serious crime and that something in me is also saying that it's become becoming more generalized mm. you know in the sentencing structure and it was more to bring that generalization into some specificity yeah. that this yeah. is different to every other crime people do not go out and intend to murder somebody if they're hit them outside a chip shop or if they're it's a crime, massive crime yes, but of they passion can, they, well actually look, I, I'm sorry for cutting across you there I'm not sure if I agree with all of that um, I, I mean you're, you're, you're say, on, on the one hand what you say like a crime of passion is very different from a cold blooded murder yes and no it's still murder and I think this system would be far better served by calling all forms of homicide murder and rating it by degree because I think it needs to be given a label. Of course there are different types of murder, but they remain murder because ultimately there will almost certainly be some form of intent. And if yeah. there isn't, it's not murder. Well, that's the one, you see, that's the distinction I'm trying to make here, that it's one of absolute intent. Um, and that intent is an evil intent, if you like. I don't know mm -hmm. what the legal word for that is, but that is, is I can only think of, you know, the filmic term, first-degree murder, mm. you know. That is the distinction I am trying to make here, minimum custodial Oh, no, I accept what you're trying to do, and, and, I, I, and I think it works in another way, yeah. I was just veering off a little bit there into manslaughter, alluding to that, really, which mm -hmm. I think it really needs re-examination. But I think your bill is right. We start at the top, and what you're doing in another way is kind of putting in murder by degree, but you're calling it something else, aren't you? You're giving it starting tariffs mm -hmm. and you're saying you need to land here. And by the way, here are your judicial guidelines. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, judges need guidelines just like everybody else. And they haven't got them in Ireland. They don't need them for sentencing and murder because it's mandatory anyway. Like, So they don't need guidelines. Well, that's the point. And that's how I was kind of swept away. So that's mandatory anyway. Yeah. Why would you need to be bringing in legislation? But when I speak to the victims and they open up the paper, Life does not mean life or anything pertaining to the it. The public thinks it kind of does, though. I mean, the public's aware that life doesn't mean you're going to rot in jail in every circumstance. But they do kind of think you're going to be in jail for a really significant period of time, perhaps a generation almost. There is definitely that feeling in general society. There or thereabouts. Well, no, that's not the case. That just simply is not the case. People are being released after 10, 11, 12 years and on an average 17 years. Now that's not a long time. 17 years in a lifetime is a small percentage. Let's be vulgar for a minute. It's four World Cups. It's not that much at all for such a horrendous crime. So I think all your bill is trying to do is say, let's get certainty here. Let's address it. Let's put a minimum level on it. For example, we'll say 20 years. I know your bill was slightly higher, but say 20 years. And after that, yeah, let's have judicial discretion. That needs to stay. Let me ask you a difficult question. As a forgiving person myself in my life, have we become generalized in our forgiveness to the point where we have stopped being able to actually punish what deserves punishment? I'm not entirely sure what place forgiveness has in the criminal justice system. Why are we concerned about forgiveness? I think what we have to be concerned about is, in no particular order, the offender, the victim and society. That's what we have to be concerned about. Whether we forgive them or not 
is kind of almost a personal choice, isn't it, to base, based on either our religious and or secular convictions. Um, we need to understand a couple of things. Let's get emotion out of it. These people have done a horrendous crime we're talking about here today. They need to be put into prison. Forget about retribution and punishment for a moment. They need to be put into prison so they don't commit the crime again. Because bad and all as things are, you're less likely to commit, of course you can commit murder in prison, but you're less likely to do it than you are when you're out in the street. So you're protecting people. I'm not sure why we can't say that's, that's the first thing, in no particular order now. And the second thing is, let's do our best for that individual within prison. Let's try and be, you know, really, really cutting edge on the best rehabilitation practices for prisoners. Thirdly, let's also understand that while doing both those things, that some people, and I don't mean this from a moralistic or religious sense, but they are irredeemable. They are psychologically irredeemable, either genetically and or through their social, environmental and familial circumstances, through no fault of their own. But they remain irredeemable. They cannot be cured. We cannot give psychopaths a tablet that says, you take that tablet now and you'll start to have feelings of remorse and guilt. No such tablet has been invented. All we can do is manage them. And under most people, you can do things with. But the time to mend the roof is when the sun was shining, when these people were kids. And for a whole host of societal reasons, we don't and can't do it at that time. Those listening here now to this would find that was very tough. Um, I know you have to, you, you were saying people need to be incarcerated and managed, but there are those who say it doesn't matter how many times you incarcerate people you know, who have committed crime, um, it won't stop the crime. If you look at American prisons. Yeah, well, well, first of all, when a judge puts somebody in prison, his or her concern is not will these people get better in prison. It's their, I'm taking them off the street for a minimum level of time to show society's disapproval. They may get better in prison or worse. That can't be the uh, judge's issue. The judge just must put them away according according to the law. So it's a very difficult situation for everybody in the criminal justice system. All I'm saying is you have to have a minimum level of what society says is no good. You've got to stop. You've got to have a bottom line. If you don't have a bottom line, you know bottom line, which brings me on to perhaps a wider point. This country suffers from new country syndrome. The post-colonial, uh, we're still doffing the camp. Uh, we're not quite sure who we're doffing it to. Perhaps each other, ourselves, looking in mirrors. I don't know. The Comedy Maidens, of course, have gone from the crossroads um, and, and, and they're enjoying their new lives and, and good on them. But in this post-colonial, uh, I suppose, world that we're in, we're excessively concerned with not seeing to be anything like the colonial oppressor. In our rush to prove our liberal credentials, which is no harm, by the way, but in our rush, in the stampede to prove them, we have forgotten that we can still have a firm eye on victims and society in general. And that's our problem. We feel we can't do both. Is there, is there any country that does it well, that does that equalization of victim and accused well? Well, nobody does it perfectly due to the human condition. So I would say there is no country in the world that does this perfectly. However, there are some models we can look at and take best practice from each. The problem is a lot of them are based on cultural foundations, which is a broader issue. Uh, take, for example, Scandinavia. 
Scandinavians, generally speaking, think if you put money into the tax system and you're a good person, you should get something back. And really, you should do your best for your fellow man. They have this a very secular notion, actually, not a religious one. And that seems to work quite well when it comes to the criminal justice system. Um, I met the Norwegian ambassador not long to <laughs> Ireland, not long after Anders Breivik committed those horrific crimes uh, against the 69 children and adults and further adults. And uh, she said to me, well, I wonder where we went wrong. I mean, that's very noble. In that particular case, of course, they didn't go wrong anywhere because this man has a personality disorder. So that would always have been there. There's nothing that Norwegian society could do about it. But it was an interesting approach. We don't have that approach. In fact, our problem here is we've no approach. Like, we're not doing our best for victims, we're not doing our best for, for offenders, and we're not doing our best for society. So at least in Scandinavia, they are victim-focused. They're victim-focused. If we look at Japan, they are shame-focused. Now, shame is important. It's a well-known, well-worn, criminological concept. And shame is important. Nobody in Ireland, and this isn't a right-wing statement, has any shame anymore. Mm. We are shameless about so many things, not least of which is a thing called violence. Now, of course, depending on what substructure, what class you might come from, if we can call it that, perhaps socioeconomic group, you can you can unleash your violence on the football field, the rugby field, the soccer field, uh, kind of have recreational or designer violence on a Saturday night and still be a good boy for the rest of the week. Or you can be part of the criminal classes and unleash it at any given time. It's nonetheless the language. It's the language for everybody now. It's not just a language for a subculture. It's the language for the culture. So we need to get to the bottom of that. Now, let me just make one final point. One, one thing that's always raised, and I find it comical, is the United States. Well, it hasn't worked in the United States. Well, first of all, let me tell you, it's worked because the people who are in prison for 423 years won't be committing a crime again. So I'm sorry, it has worked there. Where it hasn't worked is in stopping others. But that's a broader issue. It's not just about deterrence prison. It's about really boring stuff like mm, incarceration, keeping you off the street, regardless of whether others are, de are deterred by it or not. That's a social and cultural issue. And the United States is both a God-fearing and a godless society in equal measure. So they have their own subcultural issues to deal with. That's why the criminal justice system in the United States doesn't work. That's a bigger discussion. So you have to look at each particular country and what their foundations are. The foundations in Japan are still shame. And if you want to be reintegrated, shame is not the way to go about it. Uh, or rather, shameful behaviour, should I say, are not the way to go about it. Scandinavia have got it right because they're blaming themselves all the time. That doesn't work all the time, but certainly it creates a nice tapestry for good human rights, if we can call it that, for everybody. It's an interesting use of the word shame because it's something that I would attribute to my religious upbringing, you know, that one was ashamed, you know, one learned shame as not a deadly sin, but, but something that was not good to be around, you know, or something that could stop you in your tracks, that your behaviour shamed yourself or shamed your parents. or. And yet if you listen to the radio nowadays and you listen to a psychotherapist, Shame is a word you're not allowed to use anymore. You should not be ashamed of yourself. That leads to low self-esteem. Well, sometimes you know what? It's about time your esteem was on the floor. Because once you're on the floor, there's only one way to go. So shame can be for the positive, particularly in the area we're talking about. Well, I, 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 when I think of shame, I also think of the fact that it was, it was all an emotion or a feeling that stopped you also repeating something that would bring that negation of feeling back 
through the door. Uh, it had a very positive effect. Absolutely, and it's interesting you raise that positive effect because, of course, shame has been used in a positive manner when it comes to rehabilitating prisoners. I remember this picture, you, I don't know if you remember, it must be about 20 more years ago now, with Boy George going around the streets of New York mm. picking up litter with uh, basically words to the effect of, I'm a criminal, mm. you know, shake my hand, or whatever they had on the back of it. Um, so uh, that's important. Because now you're making a public statement that you have done something wrong. You're letting everybody know, and that's good for you, and it's good for the public. And um, you know, it's simplistic to imagine that if we put yellow vests on all our prisoners and sent them around Dublin, Cork, or Galway, that the sort of it needs to be far more than that. But it's the ordinary Joe Bloggs in the street who needs to start thinking about shame, because he's the foundational cornerstone of this state. It's not me and you talking here in our in the manner that we are. It's people on the street who do nothing are the issue. One of the most abhorrent areas of what happens when a life is taken or a lives are taken or a mother and her two children lose their lives um, at the hands of a criminal is the fact that we make no distinction in this country between concurrent and consecutive sentencing that you go down for one life but what about the children that you might have killed as well. Can you just talk to me a bit about that? Are we the only country where that happens? Well, we're certainly one of the few common law countries where concurrency is predominant over consecutive sentencing. Tell me, just make the distinction between the two. Okay, so consecutive sentencing does what it says on the tin. If you go to court and commit three crimes, you will be sentenced for those and one will follow the other. Concurrency, however, is when the court seems to get itself into a little bit of a, a sugar high, if I can call it that, and said, no, you've murdered three people, you've assaulted three people, but if we were to add those sentences together, oh God, you'd be in prison for a very long time or maybe forever. We can't have that. We don't do that. We're a liberal society. It's based on this word called proportionality. The sentence must be proportionate to the crime. I'm all for proportionality. You kill, th murder three people, proportionality must come into play yeah the proportionality is if each life is mm. worth a significant sentence and not to run al running alongside is meaningless what does that mean I mean there was a case in 2008 on Christmas Eve in Ireland in Kilkenny where uh, a young lady and her two daughters are murdered and after a number of a couple of trials that particular person gets three concurrent life sentences I think some of the family members have said publicly on TV and radio which sentence is that? Who's, well, tell me about the two lives that were worthless. I would like the criminal justice system to tell me. So also it's, it's a murderer's charter. I mean, you might as well go out and kill five to 10 people as kill one in this country. Now in what world is that right? Who can sit down and explain to me that you should get the same sentence for one murder as 10 murder? I mean, have we completely lost the run mm. of ourselves? Well, Bill, um, minimum custodial sentencing for first degree murder or for murder. I call it first degree murder because it kind of trips off my tongue because it's very filmic. But minimum custodial sentencing for murder, I'm trying to bring back in. Is there any advice you'd give me about maybe softening the corners of it in the sense of being um, a, 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 at least being allowed to have at second stage report committee and report stage a discussion about mm -hmm. it? Because because of what I have learned and learned through plenty of research and experience and of course the victims, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers and cousins 
of people who are now in the grave because of violent murder. You can change that bill uh, uh, downwards, upwards, sideways for time immemorial and the same people will object to it for some reasons I outlined earlier. However, um, some of the edges that, that I would suggest could be softened in it, um, not just to get it through but because it might be the right thing to do, are for example bringing the minimum sentence for murder, which is something that this country is going to have to bite into eventually down from the 25 years which I believe was suggested in your original bill mm. I would suggest down to 20 um, if, if you really want to play into the sort of average gallery if we can call it that you would stick it at 17 because that is the average sentence however that average is going to change over the next five to ten years and there's only one way it's going which is upward so I would suggest that 20 would be a reasonable figure to land on reflect society's minimum disapproval and also reflect the type of sentences that are happening at the moment for those who commit murder thereafter judicial discretion I would say must kick in with those uh, starting tariffs as you've so outlined. Finally John, do you think that Ireland uh, is a lawless society? In your knowledge of law and the courts and as a psychologist and a magistrate and forensic psychologist and a criminologist, and you know an awful lot about crime and how people how people become criminal, you know, the barrier, I mean, what the judge sometimes sees is the person who's committed the crime in front mm. of them, but you have studied, you know, I, I suppose the path to that crime in a lot of ways, and more psychologically than maybe sociologically as well. Are we in Ireland, you know, are we a good people and it's just, these are just exceptions, or are we, you know, f you know, leaning towards other paths of shamelessness or things you've described. Yeah, I, I don't think we're, I think your initial point was where we are lawless society. I don't think we're lawless. We have plenty, we love a good law. Oh, we love one. If we can get up in the morning and legislate, we will. As you well know, there's more legislation going through both. Oh, you, 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 you've been driven demented with it. So we love a good law. When it comes to the criminal justice system, the particular law we love is a maximum sentence. We love those. Because maximum sentences show on paper that we're tough on crime, but actually the reality is we're not tough on crime and nobody ever reaches those maximum sentences. So, so for example, for manslaughter, the maximum sentence is life, for rape it's life and so on, but they're rarely if ever met and it's normally going to be much, much lower. So uh, I think we love legislation, so we feel we're a lawful society, that we're doing things correctly. But I'll tell you what we are. We're indifferent. We're indifferent to crime. And we only seem to feel crime when it lands at our door. We have an un... It's like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. We read an article, we assimilate it, and then it drops out. I don't know if you remember Etch-a-Sketch when you were younger. Vump, vump, gone. Vump, vump, gone. Time to tap the phone again. Time to tap the phone again. And on it goes. Nothing is retained and therefore nothing is understood. So we're very good at paying lip service but we're not very good at carrying through. And that's where your bill is very different. It's all about follow through. It's all about every player in the criminal justice system, not just the offender. Well, I hope you'll follow it through for me or certainly follow my journey as I start again, trying to get it in to the Senate. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Mary Louise O'Donnell podcast.